Welcome to Co-Pilots, the podcast where we watch not just the first episode of a show, but also the second. Some shows just don't have the best pilot episode. Giving it that second chance might just change your mind. Here we take that second chance for you and let you know our opinion on if a show deserves more than just one shot. I'm Justice. Alongside me is my co-pilot, Josh. Now, let's get ready for takeoff. Your in-flight entertainment this week will be A Nightmare on Elm Street. No, that's wrong. The series. That's also wrong. Will be Freddy's Nightmares, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. That is correct. Yes. It's gross. The name is gross. It It's why? It's from 1988. October 8th, 1988. But it's also eight words long in the title, and two of the words are the exact same word, except one is plural. Yeah, uh, and it, the way it's stylized, there's only a set of colons after A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series, which means you would read it as Freddy's Nightmares, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. Yes. Yeah. I love this title. It's so good. So I think we should start with the base route first, and that's a pitch for our Patreon, where at the lowest tier possible, you're going to get, I'm going to say bi-daily updates at the least, but for every day this month, I am watching a horror movie, and we'll be talking about it for at least like 10 minutes. It's a dumb idea, but he is doing it, and I'm not going to stop him. I'm also not, I'm not doing it. Oh, you're not going to appear on mic? I might occasionally, but I make no commitments here. See, the important thing, and the only reason I bring that up here is because up until about four hours, five hours before we watched Freddy's Nightmares, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series... I had never seen A Nightmare on Elm Street. So like you said, he's going to watch movies. So I had him watch A Nightmare on Elm Street for context for the show. And also because he's starting with the classics and he's never seen A Nightmare on Elm Street. So, you know. Yeah, I've missed a lot of the Multiple birds, five stones. I don't know how this thing works. I mean, the important thing here is that I'm filling in my gaps in horror movie knowledge. Mostly, and I mean this seriously, mostly my horror movie knowledge is missing like slashers slashers and then like things probably pre-2000s yeah yeah let's face it as far as films go i know way too much about like 70s and 80s films an entire like decades when i was not alive yeah i like horror movies so this should be fun but like i say i like horror movies but apparently i don't know if i actually like horror movies because every time somebody's like this movie's so good i'm like "Mm, you sure yeah i understand that statement I need to see A Midsummer's Night, and what's the other one? Witch? Oh, The Vivitch? Yeah. Those mm. both get those both get pra- appraised very highly. But then again... The so Witch this- is very good for atmosphere. So, um, its story is a bit lackluster, in my opinion, but the atmosphere and its means of storytelling and its cinematography are all amazing. I just wasn't a huge fan of the overall story. But other than that, like it's not bad. So before I give you the control of what sh- what movies I'm watching for October, because I'm letting him pick the last movies I watched this month. The week before that, I'm going to do the six horror movies that were nominated for Golden Globes, mm. even though I've already seen like two or three of them. Yeah. One of them being Hereditary. Yeah, that movie. Yeah. Um, that movie is great for 45 minutes. It's an amazing short form horror movie. I would agree. Yeah. And then it, it gets, goes off the rails. Yeah. It's not even that like the themes suddenly become bad because it still has all the same thematics. It's just it leans too much into basically just modern horror and jump scares. And like it's not it's not entertaining after a point. It stops being good suspense once, and horror. Once it becomes a supernatural horror movie. Yeah. It loses me. I mean, and I'm fine with supernatural horror movies. It Follows is my favorite horror movie. It Follows is actually really, really good. And the Babadook is also one of my favorites, but I get criticized for that one. People don't see the, see the Babadook as like on that tier. I enjoy the Babadook, but I understand why they don't. Mm, fair enough. But we're I'm not, not going to lie. A large portion of it is the young child who's constantly yelling. Oh yeah, he's terrible. Uh huh. That he is pain. He, he almost makes the movie unwatchable. I understand the memes. I mm-hmm. get it. Anyways, though, so we watched, as we said, Freddy's Nightmares, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series, and let's start on with episode one: No More, Mister Nice Guy. Which I think is the name of an Alice Cooper song. Which is fun. Or, an, it, or is it an Ozzy Osbourne song? I don't know. I mean, if it's an Alice Cooper song, it's fun because Alice Cooper shows up in the fifth movie. Yeah, apparently he's Freddy's dad. Adopted father. 
Alice Cooper's Freddy's dad, yeah. Adopted father. It, it needs clarification. Yeah, because he actually has a thousand fathers, yeah. I... No, he has possibly one of 100 fathers. There's 100 possible individuals. Look, it's like Mamma Mia. If Freddy was going to get married and he wants to invite his father to the wedding, instead of three people, he has to go in with a hundred different people to possibly be his father to find the right guy to walk him down the aisle to give him away. Can I just tell you something? <laughs> Did you just imagine Mamma Mia but, but starring Freddy Krueger? No, I want that movie. I like. I don't need to imagine it more than imagining Freddy Krueger singing "Mamma Mia." That Robert England giving his performance singing "Mamma Mia" <laughs> also a hundred percent fits in with the themology of Freddy Krueger. Like, yeah, because he just makes jokes about things. I could see him doing a "Mamma Mia" parody. Anyways, episode one is entitled. Yeah, like you said, no more Mister Nice Guy. You already said that. I did. I beat you to it. And we start with a breaking news report. And the anchor is just talking about the recent murders of an elderly couple, and he's going over some other deaths and tragedies, and as he's doing that, uh, he, he literally starts to kind of static and disappear. Police are looking for, for murderers involved in two different killings, one being an elderly married couple. And then the other one, an odd triple homicide. That was nearby, but is not suspected to be related to. Yes. yeah. And then also, there was a bank robbery where people- Yeah, the, seven ca- none of these things matter. Seven wounded and- Three dead, I think he said. Yeah, as far as I know, none of these things matter unless they end up being the basis for episodes later on in the future. Yeah. And then, like you said, he fades out. He sags, fades out, and we get... A red and green test screen with the testing Mm -hmm. screen beeps. Because Freddy's sweater's red and green, who would have guessed? And then it says, please stand by, and flashes Mm -hmm. to Freddy Krueger, like, it flashes, please Mm -hmm. stand by, and then Freddy slashes through that. Yes, slashes through the screen. And he's like... You don't need to be afraid because this isn't one of your nightmares. This time it's mine. My Robert England impression is going to be terrible, but I'm going to make fun of Freddy all the time because episode one, dialogue (laughs) for Freddy, not terrible. Episode two, dialogue for Freddy, legitimately written by a third grader who thinks puns. Yeah. Which I'm surprised you didn't like. I thought that was your dialogue. Have it my way is terrible. (laughs) It's the worst. I swear to God. Yeah, so the news anchor, confusedly, like, he himself is extremely confused, shows up in front of Springwood Municipal Courthouse, mm-hmm. and he's handed a clipboard and a mic, and he's just like, where are we? What are we doing? And then he looks at the clipboard, and he starts reading the information. He's announcing the case of the mass murderer, Freddy Krueger. Who is currently being tried inside the courthouse. Mm-hmm. We then cut to the courthouse where they're giving their closing arguments. Yes. In here, though, we see Freddy just, like, sitting in a giant... Bulletproof box. It's, I was going to say... It's hand- a Pope box. I I was gonna say Hannibal Lecter style box because oh, he's also chained to a chair and all that. It's a Pope box because he's still got all the chains on when they let him out of the Pope box. The chains aren't chained to anything in the Pope box. I, I get that. What I'm seeing is the way he's positioned in the chair. What you're saying is it's a Pope box because he's still chained despite getting out of the box, which implies in your statement that the Pope constantly is in chains. They're metaphorical chains. Oh, the metaphorical chains of religion and tradition holding him down from ever making like good decisions and when he declares something positive, other people didn't backpedal on it. I was just gonna say the metaphorical chains of Catholicism, but yeah, you know, you you nailed it without like nailing it. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of this court scene is they never show Robert England's face without the Freddy makeup. Yeah, they don't do that in this entire episode. Yeah, they do a very good job of avoiding that. Mm -hmm. But they're giving closing arguments, and then the defense is like, we have new evidence to present. Yeah. We see a bunch of people in the courtroom, and the prosecution's closing argument is just a bunch of slides of the victims and their ages. Yeah. Because they're all very young children. Very compelling shit. When you're dealing with suspected serial killer of children. Yeah, just be like, here's the names and faces of the fucking children he murdered. Yeah, very compelling closing argument. Honestly... I like it. It's a little bit unorthodox, but... Yeah, it only would fly in actual court, but... No, it totally would. I guess, maybe. Yeah, because he's still giving a closing argument. He, he's listing all the victims and their ages. Yeah, my point is, I don't think the slideshow would be allowed in the closing argument. Maybe not that. Yeah, your closing argument is normally just a verbal action. But he could have, like, physical pictures. Nobody's going to stop that. Yeah, yeah, Which definitely. is, like, it's the same idea. But then the defense... For their closing argument, they're submitting new evidence, which I don't think you're allowed to submit new evidence in I the feel like at closing this point, argument. Yeah, I feel like at this point you just have to go to sentencing and then file yeah, for a mistrial. Unless it's supposed to be like a closing argument for the day. because or it's file a, for a retrial. Yeah, because like... Closing arguments don't happen for I day. know, exactly. Like, but my point is like, I obviously this isn't how court cases work anyways, so... Yeah. The new evidence is that they now have evidence that Freddie's Miranda rights weren't read, which that's not an issue. You don't have to... Cops don't have to read you your Miranda rights. Yeah. I mean, this is 34 years ago. Maybe things were different 34 years ago. Supposedly. But, I mean, it tracks still. 
He didn't get rid of his Miranda rights, and the cops didn't do anything to save children. Although, we do find out later that the cop that arrested him had the chance to shoot him and didn't, which also makes sense because Freddy is white. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense that Freddy is white, so he didn't shoot him. Yeah. That's the only reason, like, Freddy literally had the cop's kid, and the cop was like, I'm, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna casually arrest you. That's, that's the most insane thought to me, though. Like, because Freddy, even at this point, is aware that he's going to be a supernatural entity, a deity almost, an yes. omnipotent being. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, okay. You could arrest me and I'll sit in a prison cell without Bell because there's no way they're giving a serial killer who murdered like nine plus children Bell over I a two year period. I believe canonically he's murdered 20 plus children yeah, in the series. It's over two years. So yeah, sure. 20 kids across two years. Sure. Yeah. There's no way you're getting a Bell that's reasonable. Yeah. I think like, it's like, I think his victim counts like 20 plus before he becomes a dream demon. But, so, the defense gives their closing argument, which is, hey, his Miranda rights were read. So, the judge dismisses the case. Yeah. And they let Freddy out, and he walks out. And the cop, Lieutenant Blocker, is really fucking upset because the guy who was going to kill his daughters, severely traumatized one to the point she does not speak anymore, fucked up and didn't read the guy the Miranda rights, so he walked. And then the other parents in the courtroom are blaming him. So... I just watched A Nightmare on Elm Street today. Yes. The movie says that the fuck up was that a search warrant wasn't signed. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, I know we're not in his warehouse yet again. Why is his claw glove just in his warehouse? I don't know. You think they would take it as evidence? Why is there, Assuming like... Assuming he killed people with it. Why is there bloody sheets in his warehouse and stuff, like... Because no one did any work to actually document the crime scene. But I think I forgot to mention, I forgot, as they let Freddy out of his handcuffs and chains, legitimate chains, yes. we get Freddy vision for the first time, as I like to call it. And my God, do I hate Freddy Vision. So Freddy Vision doesn't just come with Vision, though. It's got like a bunch of people screaming in his ears as well. Mm -hmm. The important part about Freddy Vision, and it's probably why he murders children, is he's in Freddy Vision. All All the adults adults are dead. All the adults are already dead. Like, we got one person like spinning up by the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, There's decapitated people, there's bodies laying all over the ground. And then we see Blocker's two teenage daughters just like... I wonder, what, I wonder what age you age out of Freddy Vision. Like, I don't know. I My brain assumes it's like the same time you age into Polo Vision. So well, legal age? But I, like, I don't know how old Tina's boyfriend is in... It's unclear. But he might just die because he's tangentially related to a victim, to like his main target... They're just in the way. They're not... He didn't really play with him too much. He didn't toy with him like like he likes to do with his targets. Kind of just killed the guy. Fair enough. He was really just a tool to fuck with Nancy and bother her. Fair enough. Fair enough. But also, like, Freddy Vision, it gets, like, kind of filtered and everything gets, like, a red lens over it, but it also feels like they've slowed down the frames per second, so it feels kind of laggy and it's weird. But anyways, after the mother yells at him because it's all his fault, we see Blocker just talking to his wife in the courtroom. He's like, I could have shot him. And she's Mm -hmm. like, well, why the fuck didn't you? Yeah. This is also where we learn that one of his daughters, Merit, is mute now. And then, yeah, his wife's like, why the fuck didn't you? And he's like, that's not what I'm supposed to do, but I honestly don't know either. I'm a cop. It's against the law for me to just shoot people. Yeah, basically, that's his argument. And then we see the district attorney, Deeks. Michael Deeks, yeah, the prosecutor. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of parents of the victims outside the courthouse being like, well, the law has failed. Time to kill a man. I love how Deeks is just like, look, I'm one all for, like, due process, but, uh... Lynch mob? Lynch mob. The district attorney. Actually, I don't think he's the district attorney. I don't know. The fucking. Pro- he's prosecutor. the prosecution. Yeah, the prosecuting prosecutor. attorney. It's just like, well, court failed. Lynch mob time. And honestly, this makes, like, the speed at which these people pick up on lynch mob really makes me question. Oh, it's not their first time. Yeah, it's not. It's not their first time. And what that, what that ultimately means is bad things for Springwood because they are a rather small suburban town, which means they were probably rural like 20 ish years ago in the late 60s. And they seem to have experience with lynch mobs. Yeah, I get what you're. I get where you're going with this. Yeah, I wouldn't want to live in Springwood. Anyways, while the crowd agrees to like go form a lynch mob, they realize that he's disappeared. Oh yeah, yeah. And so they decide to go off after him. Um, at this point, though, we get Freddy like going through the boiler room areas that is his um hideout, I guess. The yes. Power plant. 
I mean, it looks more like a water treatment center to me. But they call it the power plant. I realize, but they had some large, like, water tank reservoirs all over the background. Oh, anyways, the important thing here is he has an ice cream truck. Yeah. The important thing is he has an ice cream truck. Also, of course, when he's getting back to his place and looking at his glove, he asks, like, two questions. Uh, when he first gets to his truck, actually, he asks, are you ready for Freddy? And then when he's putting his glove on, it's Freddy's home. Well, before he puts his glove on, we get another thing of Freddy Vision after he picks up a toy clown doll. Oh, yeah. And, like, this Freddy Vision, he's, like, looking around and, like, there's these, like, beds and shit that he obviously, like, had victims, like, chained to or tied to. And he's talking to himself. And, like, it goes really far, really fast from being child mass murderer to being child rapist and pedophile. Because he's, like, he's remembering lines of dialogue he had and he's like, tonight we'll have a little party. And then, like, yeah, time to feed you some meat. And then he turns to another one. He goes, another area where, where a child would have been. And he's like, oh, don't worry. There'll be plenty to go around. Yeah, I know. Which all tracks with what I've always heard was what he was meant to be, which was he was meant to be a child molester in the original movies. But then because of cases going on at the time and a lot of current issues for that time period they were like let's not do that it's too poignant for the current situation sure i like they may have decided not to do that four years previously during but the then first four years, years later they're like yeah. yeah why not we it's been long enough I mean, time plus tragedy equals humor we get an episode stinger we cut to a commercial break mm-hmm. we come back tim or lieutenant blocker blocker mm-hmm. and his wife sarah yeah are having an argument because they used to live in new york and they moved here to for it to be safer what's the name of the town springwood springwood they moved to springwood to avoid the crime mm-hmm. and his wife is blaming him for all that he's like oh, i'm gonna go back to the office now yeah because well they're kind of arguing cause she's just like well you should have just shot him he's like i mean he still has rights so it's and then it basically comes down to like victims have rights accused people have rights and he's trying to stand by all that and she's just like yeah but you know i know the entire fucking town knows he murders people he traumatized our daughters you could have killed him you should have killed him he's like i'm not gonna with this i'm gonna go back to the office yeah and like as he gets ready to leave to head back to the precinct his daughter that's not a mute goes you can't kill him it'll only make him stronger yeah it'll make things worse is i think what she says uh maybe yeah yeah but he leaves anyways. Yep. He tells his wife that he's going to send somebody out to watch the house. Yeah. So the other parents get together with the prosecutor and with their lynch mob, they decide to go to Freddy's little hideout, his boiler room, and murder the man. But he's not there. Well, while they're going there, we also get Lieutenant Blocker arriving at the police station and like- And Gene? Gene, yeah. His deputy or partner is like- you hear about the little parents, right? They're all out to... They're gonna go deal some vigilante justice. We won't have to worry about career much longer. Blocker's like, put people out, have them break up or bring in anybody who's just trying to give vigilante justice and put a car out looking for Kruger. Yeah. So then the mom arrives at the boiler room and they find that Freddy's not there. So they're all just like, oh, he must be out in town looking for someone to kill. And then we come back to Tim's house Mm -hmm. where Lisa tells her mother that the cop outside won't be enough to stop Freddy. Yeah. And Merritt's just kind of shaking and seems to be almost disassociating. And while all that's going on, Sarah's just insisting that it'll be fine. And she puts some chicken on a plate and then covers it in tinfoil and then immediately takes it down to the police officer outside who immediately removes the tinfoil. Yeah, let's waste shit. It's the 80s. The environment doesn't matter. Yep. And then she goes back inside. We get a scene of the parents and the prosecutor leaving from the power plant that we cut back to the house. And Freddy's murdering a police officer who was just, just stuffing his face with chicken. Just like straight up murders a police officer. Mm-hmm. At that point, we see inside and Merritt's on the couch crying now. And it's more Freddy vision here. Yeah. 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 More Freddy vision. And this is when we get like the screams and it's. And Freddy does that thing where he takes his claws mm-hmm. and like. Scrapes along metal. And uses his magic to make a vase inside the house burst yeah. by but like what i was gonna say though is like right before that happens Merritt's crying and lisa's trying to tell her mother that hey he's here i can tell he's here yeah and then their mother's just like look you're making your sister cry and she, you're making her upset and she's like if you were an attentive mother or learned how to deal with trauma because they've in the few instances we've seen this they've just been ignoring their daughter who is suffering extreme trauma obviously it's the 80s only soldiers have trauma True. And we also don't treat them correctly either. No, we spit on them for having trauma. Yeah, you're 
True, true. So her mother, who's been ignoring her the entire time, is just like, look, you're the one causing this. Even though Merritt's been crying basically since we saw the police officer outside earlier. Yeah. So Sarah gets up to go check on Lou, the police officer outside. Mm-hmm. She can't find him. She calls his name multiple times. She comes back in the house and tries to call her husband. Yes. And uh, doesn't really get anything. And then just before Freddie can do anything to them, the mob and Lieutenant Blocker both show up outside. The mob shows up a little bit just, earlier. Yeah, like, just a little bit like, like less than a minute mm-hmm. and they're like look it's freddy's truck he's come back to finish what he started yeah and then blocker shows up and he's like you guys can't just be vigilante justice scene around this town yeah and they're that, like but he's right there he's gonna get your daughter he's like i'll deal with it everyone go home and like while they're having this argument freddy and his fucking ice cream truck disappear just, yeah they just bail there's like, like Nobody hears the ice cream truck start up and leave. Like, yeah, I, no. I, I know, like, music doesn't automatically start, but, like, it's still a fucking ice cream truck. Yeah, it's truck. still like, a vehicle, and there are no other cars idling. No one left their cars on. I was like, we're here immediately. Turn off your cars. Which is wild. You think if you're chasing somebody, you'd have your car ready to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, like, the conversation between Blocker and Deeks, Deeks is trying to tell Tim, the Blocker, the father, the lieutenant, the cop, that uh, they're way beyond the book now, because yeah. Blocker was like, I'll deal with it, I'll do it by the book, and Deeks is just like, we're well beyond the book now. You had your chance to do it by the book. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. we then get this mob dispersing, kind of, they immediately reform at the power plant. Yeah, because they leave. Tim's talking to his wife and he reassures his wife. He's like, look, you stay with the girls until I get back. Yeah. And then we're basically just back over at the boiler room and the mob is reassembled. They didn't have weapons like other than like baseball bats. And, but like, now they have weapons. Now they have like shotguns and shit. Example, Deeks has a shotgun and he has aimed it at Freddy's face. And just like as he's getting ready to pull the trigger, Blocker comes in and pulls his gun on Deeks. Mm-hmm. And tells Deeks to drop his gun. Yeah. And so this scene escalates incredibly quick and not in a sensible manner because it goes from Blocker being like, we'll handle this the legal way. We're not going to break the law to Freddy being like, I can't wait to murder your daughters. Well, They're well, no. so precious. There's this, there's this part here, which I don't think equates at all, where the mob still very much wants to kill Freddy. Mm-hmm. And Tim is just like, look, if you guys murder him, you'll be down on his level. And it's like, yeah, really? Man. We're the only reason why he's not in jail right now is a technicality because you fucked up. We know he murdered a fuck ton it, of children. It, it reminds me of the Batman's line to Red Hood where he's like, if you kill a killer, you've only created a new killer. And Red Hood's like, yeah, but if I kill all the killers. I've only created one new killer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, And then Freddy's like, you got some pretty girls there. Cop. I'm sure they'll like me more this time. Yeah, they just didn't get a chance to know me well enough. And he goes like, okay, so if you're going to like justifiably in anger murder somebody and you have a gun drawn and you're a cop you you shoot them right like yeah but instead tim to obviously keep in track with the story of the movie puts his gun in the holster walks over and grabs a, a tank of gasoline and like splashes it on freddy well freddy like is going oh but you missed a spot yeah freddy's just i am forever i can't be killed ha 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 Bur- i'd rather burn out in glory than fade away he literally says i am forever yeah yeah so they set him on fire he's forever thanos is inevitable and iron man is iron man mm-hmm. and then tim just swears everyone to secrecy he's like look we're not gonna tell anyone it's gonna be fine now you said in order to keep this on track with the movies they burn him but mm-hmm. that doesn't track with the movies because according to the movie they never confronted him they just like burned the whole building down yes uh, well they doused a lot of it in and then trailed it outside and then burned it down yes i meant to keep in track with the movies with the fact that he died by a burning i think it's very different to burn an entire building down and to like i would agree this show does not and as long as he died in fire, that's all that matters. It's weird that he has like this foreknowledge, though, that he was going to be this like mm-hmm. demonic. Oh yeah, definitely dream monster. Look, I just like the fact that if we want to try to make this fit with the original story in the movie as much as possible, it means that Nancy's mom had to stick around after everyone else left to steal Freddy's knife glove so she could hide it in her furnace at home. And at no point when messing with the body did Gene or Tim realize, hey, he's missing his weird glove thing he was constantly wearing. Well, that's because she didn't take it from the power plant. She went to the junkyard. She's the one that took it from yeah, the... She's okay, the one, that yeah, makes sense. That's, that's where his body went. She just lied to her daughter. Mm-hmm. I mean, she lied about burning the building down already. Yeah, exactly. So we cut from that to inside of Freddy's like hell nightmare dreamscape world. Yeah. And he looks at the audience and goes, that was then and this is now. 
Springwood's nightmare are just now beginning. Yeah, we see a mailman deliver a package to the blocker house late at night, which honestly, let's face it, the night mailman is the best mailman. Everyone has a guy who just delivers packages in the middle of the night, right? I mean, we've had guys just deliver packages like in the night. Honestly, I think we should have like second rotation of delivery drivers for like the so, mail to actually deliver it so at night. It'd be fun. Great. Fun fact. People think of, like, Mel in the 100 years ago being slow. Yeah. But, like, it wasn't. No. Mel was so efficient in, the in like, the pre-Telegram days that you could write a letter, send it from your post, and then get on a train, and the letter would beat you to where you were going because they would deliver, like, six times a day and, like... Yeah, no, it was just like, hey, we have a bunch of stations with a bunch of different horses. You're going to ride this horse until it's done. You're going to hand that, this up to someone else. Someone else is going to do it, like, so on and so forth. Trains were, like, a cotler constantly They were constantly going. moving, yeah. Like, so you'd have a train leave, and then two hours later, you'd have a train leave, and two hours later, yep. you'd have a train leave. And, like, Mel worked in such a way that, like, multiple times a day, Mel would be delivered. So you could send somebody a letter and then get a response that same afternoon. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. People are like, oh, next day delivery. It's impressive when it's coming from, like, another country or, like, yeah. California. When or you... it's a really, really large package. Yeah, that's impressive. But the U.S. Mail Service has been efficient for a long time. Until we decided it didn't need funding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, though, Tim gets up, finds the package, opens it, and gets attacked by Freddy's glove. Yeah, well, you should mention that... And then he wakes up. When the Melon delivers the package, Lieutenant Blocker's house is run down, and like there's this, there's all yeah. the, there's all this bright white light pouring out of all the windows except the front two windows, which have a red and green light. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah it's all very dreamscape. The Melon delivers the package, and there's these swirling mists. And when Blocker picks up the package, it's not just like a brown package or something. It's a red and green gift box with the green ribbon and the red package. And then his hand busts out and grabs him by the face, and he wakes up. Yep. So then he wakes up and he's like, man, that's a bad dream. He feels kind of guilty for killing Freddy because, you know, he's a cop. And his wife's just like, you did to protect our daughters. It's good. You're fine. It doesn't matter. He was a monster. He's been having these nightmares for for some unknown. Un- undisclosed amount of time. Yes. Yeah, because uh, he said he specifically mentions like he can't keep having these nightmares. And she's like, what's well, a little bit of nightmares for like peace for everybody? Yeah. Anyways, he gets up, looks in the mirror. We see four little blade marks on his face. Yeah, where the Freddy hand from the box grabbed him. Yep. So then he drops his daughters out at school, and Lisa jumps out of the car, and then we see Merritt turn to Tim mm-hmm. and sing out, one, two, I'm coming for you. And then she gets kind of pulled out of the car by her sister. Yep. And he, as he walks into the police station, he grabs the police station's mail for the day, and he's flipping through it, and he finds a letter to him. He opens it, and it says, I'm burning in hell. Wish you were here. And then it dissolves in flash paper fire. And then Gene comes in. And he's just like, hey, did you hear the FBI are coming to uh, get Freddy? Apparently, they were involved in a bunch of other killings all across the state. Did you hear the good news? The FBI are coming to help. And, and then, then Tim has like a breakdown. He's like, they're not going to find him. And Gene's like, no, they're pretty good at what they do. They're, they're probably going to find him. Like, they're not going to find him. No, I think they're, they're not going to find him. He's dead. Well, they're not, you know, the third time he's They're like, not going to find him alive. And Gene's like, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I can go move the body for you. Like, Gene is, yeah. the, Gene is a best friend. Like, yeah, Gene's a bro. He's a terrible cop, but he's a bro. I, I mean, no. Yeah, all he, cops he, are he, He's pretty accurate for a cop. A terrible cop would be a good person. <laughs> Fair enough. So his partner offers to run and hide the body so the FBI mm-hmm. won't find it. And then Tim gets in his car. He's driving along. And while he's on the road, he's a vision of an ice cream truck barreling towards him. So he slams the brake, which Swer- slams his face into the steering yeah, wheel. Yeah, he slams the brake and swerves off the road. Yeah. So then his face slams into the steering wheel and he chips a tooth. Yep. He then gets a call on the radio that a body was found in the power plant. Mm-hmm. And he's then over the radio waves. Radio's Gene is like, I thought you moved that body. And Gene was like, I did. Yeah. The fun thing is, this isn't like a small account where it's just these two, like, in movie fashion. We see several other police officers. Yeah, there's like four or five police cars here. Mm-hmm. So, Gene and Tim go to the junkyard, where they've hidden his body, because they're going to search the car trunk that it's hidden in. But when they open it, Freddy's body is missing. Uh, it's, he's not just hid it. Gene didn't just hide the body in a junkyard in a trunk. He welded the trunk shut. He's like, nobody's opening this thing. Yeah. Although, to me, that makes it more suspicious, right? Like, if you're the FBI and you're prowling through the junkyard, well, he, later he says he welded it shut we don't see it welded shut here no he says he welded it shut here too oh okay he's like tim says I guess I missed that we part. need to open it up and he's like i welded it shut and Tim's like we need to open it and like, okay. they eventually pry it open and inside the boot instead of being a body there's just a bunch of claw marks yes mm-hmm. yep so then they go to the boiler place to check it out and they find a dead body but the body is michael deeks aka the prosecuting attorney in the case against 
Freddy Krueger. Yep. When Tim pulls back the sheet that's over his face, pulls it down far enough to see four slash marks horizontally mm-hmm. across his chest. And Gene's just like, well... I guess that's good that it's not, that it's, it, I mean, it sucks that it's Deke, but I guess it's good that it Deke's. And Tim's like, it's not good. We still have a missing body. Yeah. I Which have. Fair statement. I have a lot of issues with the resolution of this episode. I have a lot of issues with a lot of resolutions in this. Um, so at home, we see Tim sitting in bed. He's taking a combination of pills and drinking beer, which um, from what I know about most pills don't go with alcohol. Well, before that, the doctor who is there, who's apparently just a dentist, so I don't know why he's on the scene. Because he's the dentist. Yeah. I assume he's just like the scientist in a movie, like they're scientists of everything. He's just a doctor of everything. Yeah. Notices that Tim has a chip tooth and he tells him to come by it tomorrow. No, no, he, he, the reason he's there is because he just shows up at every murder scene in case they need him to identify the dental record. Honestly, that tracks with, like, apparently it's how they had to identify some of the victims, so. Yeah, but, like, typically you do that with, like, dental I records. Yeah, but, I know. But I'm implying that he just has the I, I, I get memory. it, yes. Um, Anyways, though, so then he's drinking beer, or he tries to, really, but he takes, like, a sip, immediately hurts his chip tooth and throws the beer. Well, he doesn't throw the beer until his wife is, like... What's wrong? And he's like, the FBI and yeah. Deegs and this and that. And she's like, it's okay. It'll be okay. And he's like, no, it won't. And throws a tantrum and throws the beer. Yeah. And the entire time she's like rubbing his chest and everything, kissing his neck and everything. And she starts to move down. Hold and on. And it's just like. This is another point where you're right. This family needs emotional awareness, not just for their traumatized daughters, but because she's like, oh, it's okay. I know you're, I know you're like having a mental breakdown. Break and you are extremely uncomfortable with the fact you killed someone and that you can't find his body and that the FBI are on their way. But you know what? The idea of you killing someone makes me really fucking horny. Yeah, like, this family needs emotional intelligence. They just Yeah, they don't have, have it. They have none. So, we cut from that to Tim having a nightmare about being arrested for Kruger's murder. Mm-hmm. And it goes from him being, like, arrested and walked into prison to, like, him being walked into an electric chair. Mm-hmm. And both his daughters are at the side of the chair. They just tell him to open wide. And then, yeah, he's like, you put the sponge in your mouth. and Yeah, but also if you look at the chair, it also looks like a dentist's chair foreshadowing mm-hmm. and then freddy krueger's a shadow on the wall and laughing kind of waves and then commercial mm-hmm. and then he wakes up yep it's the next morning and he's standing and looking in the mirror and he's like i know what is real i know what, what is, is real, real. And, and then, then his, his daughter, daughter Merritt walks up well she doesn't walk up he's he looks down looks oh yeah she's in the there mirror, and she's just there and he's like i know what's real you're not real i'm dreaming no more nightmares and she starts to cry because she was actually smiling she looked happy she looked really composed the one time i've seen her like this the entire episode and then she's immediately crying again because her father just fucking yelled out her out nowhere and she has severe ptsd so he goes down for breakfast he's like i'm sorry for yelling at you merit and lisa's like merit's talking and he's like what, what? he's like yeah, she talks she- she's like yeah in her sleep really all she says is his name and then merit tells him that she knows except she doesn't really tell him she's like she, t- she tells him you nothing killed him he's like who told you who told you Freddy, he's back in my dreams and yours. Except we we did that much more melodically. She had no sense no of melody, like, no sense of cadence, no sense of timing. Yeah, his daughter's there right for school. Picks them up. He crushes his mug in his hand. Yeah, that's right. Because it is of slight importance if we're again categorizing how much this family cares about nothing. His daughters do not react. At least it decides, hey, we need to go to school. Their rides there. Their mom mm-hmm. tells them the rides there. So Lisa goes to grab Merit, and Merit's just sitting there, and Lisa's repeatedly pulling, like, hard on her arm until she eventually gets her up, but, like, and then Sarah, their mother, Tim's wife, comes in, and she's like, oh, Tim, when she sees the mug, don't ask if she's if he's okay or anything, just, like, looks at him and picks some of it off his food. Oh, uh, no, I love the fact that she's like, oh, Tim, like, this is a normal occurrence. I mean, it probably is. Yeah, but that's what it probably like, is. Something like two-thirds of police abuse their, their yeah. family, so this is probably a normal occurrence. But, yeah, she's just like, oh, Tim, you broke another coffee mug. Yeah, and he's, he's like, just, we need to leave. Yeah, I gotta we, go to a meeting, and but when I get back, you need to be ready to leave. Yeah, I called a meeting and tell everyone they need to leave because we need to leave. Springwood is poisoned. Freddy poisoned it. It's his. Freddy owns Springwood now. Yeah. So he goes to the dentist, and he's going mainly just to tell the doctor that he needs to leave as well. But he shows up, and the doctor's like, "Look, let me put a cap on your tooth, anyways. Like, It'll take like five minutes. We'll be done. We can make it to the meeting. In and out. Let me do it." Which apparently he didn't tell his assistant this because, like, you the amount of like nitrous and like. We'll get there. Yeah. So he sits down in the gen- in in the room. I guess it's an operating room. Yeah, technically. He sits down in the operating room and the assistant comes in. I didn't catch her name. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And she puts some nitrous on him and then... Whoa. 
No. No, not yet. Sorry. Gene comes in. Mm-hmm. My bad. And he's just like, hey, what's going on? What's with this meeting? And Tim's just like, look, we all need to leave before the feds arrive. And Gene's just like, what, what are you talking about the feds? And just to give some continuity, Gene's like, Sarah called me. She's panicking. She's really worried about you. Yeah. She told me where to find you. Yeah. Just and, to give some continuity. Yeah. So then Tim's like, we need to go before the feds arrive. And Gene's like, who said anything about the feds? And then Tim's like, you did. Are you fucking with me? And Gene's like, they're not going to find the body. It's fine. I it's- hit it. And then Tim is like, it's gone though. And he's like, what do you mean? I welded it shut. And he's like, yeah, you saw. We opened it. It's gone. There's no body. He's like, we didn't open it. I welded it shut. Nobody's opened that. But yeah. So he doesn't remember mentioning the FBI coming to town or yeah. like going to the body and checking it. And then Gene just kind of leaves. And the nurse comes in, puts a nitrous mask on him, injects him with some sodium pentothal. So it takes better, I think. And he how starts that works. hallucinating. And for the show to tell us he's hallucinating, she's now in her underwear. Mm-hmm. And then she has him count down from 10. After injecting him with sodium pentothal. Yeah. And as he gets down, we hear... Friday's starting to sing, one, two, I'm coming for you. Yep. Uh, he loses consciousness to only have Freddy sing the skip rope song to him. Freddy then straps him into the chair, but it's not like the normal straps you'd have on a dentist's chair. It's now like leather buckles and straps like you'd see on a mental patient's chair. Or an electrocution chair. Fair enough. Freddy's glove is now no longer nice. It's, it's dentist tools. Uh-huh. And he pulls out all of Blocker's teeth. They all have to go. Yep. Well, we don't see him pull out all the teeth. Yeah. He just sticks his hand in Just before Blocker's he does that, though, and... Tim yells, you're dead. And Freddy's just like, big deal. And then the dentist comes in with the nurse. And they scream because... He's dead. He's got blood trickling out and of his mouth. And they're just like, I guess he died from a bad reaction to the anesthetics. And then the screen switches back to the dreamscape, nightmare land of Freddy. And he goes, sweet dream. And then he goes, who's next? Before turning to face the camera and being like, maybe one of you? Yeah, he's kind of pointing around the room and then faces the camera and like, maybe one of you. And that's the end of episode one of Freddy's Nightmares, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. Yep. I can't believe I remembered the title of that show off the top of my head. So what are your thoughts on Freddy's Nightmares and Nightmare on Elm Street, the series? It's weird because you think if you're making a show to support the canosity of your movies, which this episode is meant to support the canosity of the first movie. You'd have your canosity right? You would have your canon right. Yes, sir. More importantly, the end of this episode, much like the end of A Nightmare on Elm Street, Seems to like both the show and the movie have a clear delineation between dream and real world, which is important because yeah, up Fre- until the very end of them, because Freddy can only like hurt you in the dream world. He only he can until only hurt the him. later movies when he gets more powerful. Yeah. He can only hurt his victim while while they're dreaming of him or influenced in some mind altered state. Yeah. Until the end of both the movie and this episode. Because in the movie, after he's defeated in the real world, and then he's defeated because she stops fearing him in in the movie, we still get like an entire end sequence that that is basically like, oh, this was all a dream. Yep. In this, the entire end scene with Gene and Tim don't make sense unless that was a dream. Yeah, because Gene's reactions make no sense. Yeah, Gene's reactions in the the context don't make sense within the episode. The only thing here is, I don't know when the other movies came out, and I don't remember what each movie necessarily introduces. The only argument here is that at times what Tim is seeing are waking hallucinations, which I know Freddy has caused before, but it's definitely not supported by just A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, I mean, it's fine. Like, I don't see why got two seasons off of this episode like but it's fine it's not the worst thing i've ever watched but i wouldn't watch another episode based off this episode to be fair though i wouldn't watch another nightmare on elm street movie based off a nightmare on elm street either i honestly don't blame you i think they're fun it very much feels like wes craven doing scream before he did scream it feels like a parody of slasher stuff both the movie and this show are superior entities without freddy in them i would agree I don't want to, like, shit on Robert England. I know he's, like, super, like, well-known and respected for his role as Freddy, but, like, Freddy is the worst part of his own series. I honestly don't disagree too much. I think Freddy's really good in A New Nightmare, which is my favorite, and also did you know, supposedly Robert England's favorite. Did you know Robert England isn't credited as playing Freddy in A New Nightmare? Yeah, it's credited as Freddy himself. Yeah. Robert England plays Robert England, though. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, what do you think of this? I think it was it was passable. It was fine, I guess. The contradictions between this and, obviously, the movie are annoying. It's not too hard. It's not like you're working with a bunch of his backstory. You were literally working with just Two the details. very basic thing you told us. I guess three details. Child yeah. murder, burned to death in a warehouse, and got off because of a search warrant. Yeah, and they didn't even get that right. 
Honestly, the introduction and outro for this episode weren't anything special either, which, assumedly, Freddy's going to be equivocally our host in, like, a Crypt Keeper kind of fashion. Which, let's face it, the Crypt Keeper is a fun host. Freddy just feels like an annoying host, probably. Freddy feels like... The Deadpool version of the Crypt Keeper before Deadpool was popular or good. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'd watch more, but again, because I know it's an anthology series, it really just depends on like, the description of an episode, I think. Because yeah. it's not so bad I'm put off on all of it, it's just not good enough for me to actively watch more. Fair enough. I didn't know it was an anthology series when I started episode one, and Fre- I knew it was. Freddy's overarching presence in episode one implies to me Freddy's going to have an overarching presence in later episodes. Not really, I think he appears in some episodes. Yeah, episode two shows me how much Freddy is in the series. Speaking of, episode two, it's a miserable life. We actually get an intro sequence here to this episode with music and everything. The music is fine. Yes. But the music and the intro are both very true crime. Unsolved files, untold mysteries for the first half of it. And then it's just, here's Freddy, here's some fire, here's some people screaming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It goes from being very true crime show to very supernatural, like, this is the demon monster of the week. Yeah thing and then we start our episode with an establishing shot of beefy boy burgers and a title card we get Mm -hmm. a title card and we hear the radio going on about how they've just finished listening up to their top 10 hits and how the rivalry between the two high schools is about to kick off so in honor of that they're playing the springwood high school's fight song which to me means rather than pay for licensed music here's some royalty free or the cheapest thing we could find and this song is not played with actual instruments it is all very very bad synthesizer instruments yep so we have this teen here by himself at a his name's brian brian ross his name's ross ross brian there's a comma in his not in mine um and he's like messing around with styrofoam containers drawing ketchup faces on them he is building effigies of styrofoam and ketchup to enact his request for less hours from the divine source of the cosmos he's bored (laughs) and then a jeep full of like fellow teens drive up hello my fellow team <laughs> and they just watch him play with the styrofoam containers while kind of laughing at him yeah and they're like he hey notices. and then they're like hey you should just like leave yeah come join us you seem really fucking bored and this job's dumb and he's like i can't go my dad would be super upset he owns the restaurant you like, know that yeah and they're like well that sucks this is my ball and chain mm-hmm. and then they leave and he's like i'm probably gonna die here foreshadowing and as he walks past the deep fryer we see freddy rise up out of the fryer the thing is freddy definitely doesn't rise up out of the grease fryer within the context of the actual story freddy isn't in it he's not actually rising out of that grease fryer i'm aware but you could say he goes from the fryer to the boiler like from the pen yeah yeah i got it oh we didn't seamlessly cut and like it's a very seamless cut it's very nice of freddy coming out of the fryer Mm -hmm. and then he's in the dreamscape instead and we get his pun for the start of the episode this is this pisses me off so much do you want to deliver it because now you can now it's the graveyard shift when i get hungry the syntax is just weird and then he flicks his knife gloves at the screen mm-hmm. he's like yeah this, the syntax is just weird and i just like it it's awkward it's clunky I just, I just like it so then we cut back to ross and he's doodling at the drive through window yeah brian's just doodling and he falls asleep and has a dream about four women in a pink cadillac pulling up and propositioning him yeah they pull up to the drive through window, they make some sexual innuendo, and then he wakes up. Yeah, because his dad wakes him up and he's like, look, you're on until yeah. morning. Because We the morning- see a hand grab him in the classic jump scare, but it's a normal person hand, so it's not Friday. You know, that's a, a Nightmare on Elm Street, no jump scares. Not any real ones, yeah. The show, jump scares. What happened in four like years? Like one jump scare. Yeah, that's fair. What happened in four years, though? But yeah, his dad's like... Look, you're on until morning. The morning guy called in. He's like, I'm going to leave. You're here here until morning. And Brian's like, you said until three. And his dad's like, yep, too bad. Don't have somebody to cover the morning. And he's like, you haven't had somebody to cover the morning for three weeks. Yeah, because his dad goes, it's just one night. And Brian goes, it's been one night for three weeks. I would honestly, I don't care if it's my father's restaurant or not. I'd be like, fuck you, I'm out. Why are you going home? Yeah, obviously, this is where you work, right? You can stay. Like, if it's been one night for three weeks, I'm 100% being like, no. Yeah, and if it's like you can't afford to hire another person on, it means your nights probably aren't busy enough to be open. Fire me. Yeah. Fire me, you mark. 
I don't think we know his dad's name is Mark. We don't. I was quoting somebody and something. I know. I chose to actively ignore it. I know. Which is why I explained it. He says he has college applications to fill out so he can get out of this yeah, nowhere town. They kind of just argue about that. Brian's dad wants him to take it, over the restaurant. This, Brian this, wants him to Brian wants to leave. It's the standard kid wants out. Dad wants him to inherit his business dichotomy. Yeah. Um, that you see so often in film. Mm. And by the end of the film, they'll resolve their issues and realize that the child needs to like live his own life while still honoring his father and family's legacy. Yes. You know, things that don't happen in real life. Yeah. Yeah. So then Brian calls his girlfriend. He's like, hey, don't worry about picking me up. I got to work late again. And she's just like, again, like, that's fucking horrible. I'm going to swing by. You're going to get lonely. And he's like, it, you really shouldn't. It gets creepy around here. It's, it's it, not safe. It is really weird to me. She's like, I'll, I'll come by by like around three, but she's not doing anything. Yeah. Like, honestly, if she was going to be there at three to pick him up from work. Mm-hmm. But like now, like, if she's just going to come by to hang out anyways, like, if you're not doing anything and it's two in the morning, one in the morning, like. Well, their conversation's very, very short. She might be assuming that his father's also staying until three. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But just before three, a vehicle pulls up to order. It's like 2.57 a.m. when this vehicle pulls up. Yeah, I would say so. Because we see the clock. Oh, do we? I did not yeah. pay attention to that. We see the clock because it, it fast forwards from 12.30. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I was too busy distracted by the fact that he was throwing onion rings at something. Yeah. He, to pass the time. Yeah. But he goes over to like the speaker box. Yeah. Because when the car pulls up. It rings. Bell rings. He goes over to the speaker box, turns it on, and it's just someone revving a bike. Yeah. And he's like, hello? And the person revving goes, we're coming, Brian. Which, I guess, Springwood is just that small of a town. Yeah. So, there, he's just like, we're coming for you. Um, and Ross assumes it's a friend screwing with him. And he's like, look, knock it off. I, I gotta be here all night. I don't want to mess with your shit. Yeah. And he's like, you can't run. You can't hide. You're ours, beefy boy. And so he looks out the window to see, like, down where the ordering box is. And it's just one guy on a bike? Yeah, revving the bike, and there's, like, fog swirling around the bike. Yeah. For some reason. And the man's just staring at him. He looks away, and the guy disappears. Mm-hmm. And girl- then we see Karen pull up. Yep. And then before she comes inside, the motorcycle guy reappears at the actual window now. And wants everything with and everything on it and pulls a gun on him. And shoots him. Yep. Karen comes in and finds Ross sleeping on the counter. She wakes him up. He was no, having- no, no. We see the gunshot and the gun like three fucking times here. We yeah. see them shoot like three times and it's super fucking annoying. And I hate every moment of it. I hate the soundscape. I hate the camera work for it. I hate that I have to fucking see it three times. Mm, way more than three times. At this moment, and it's only three. They repeat it later. So Karen comes in and finds Ross sleeping on the counter. She wakes him up. He was having a nightmare about a guy shooting him. Yeah. And he decides, you know what? Gonna lock up and close for the night. Fuck Screw it. I'm gonna leave. Yeah. Which is exactly where you should have been when your dad was like, nah. You should have been like, cool. I'm leaving now then. We're not gonna get another fucking business from three to like seven at the earliest. Maybe, Fuck you. Maybe I just have a really toxic relationship with parental figures. Or bosses. Or both. <laughs> you know what? It's probably both. Yeah. <laughs> so he decides to leave and then the camera pans down to the book he was asleep on, which was his yearbook. We see he's staring at a picture of himself and we also see a small thing of blood on it. Yep, we cut to the morning, Karen is dropping him off. And it's like a bright blue morning with a very direct light, which makes it seem like easily 8 to 10 a.m. to put on the time of the year. Yeah, like you could you could tell me that this is 7 a.m. in July. Yeah. But he said he still has to apply to colleges. He mm-hmm. said he's leaving come September. So like... Yeah, but anyways, she's dropping him off and he's been apologizing because he's been bad company. He just has a really bad headache from the weird dream. And she's like, that's fine. Get some sleep. I still love you. Even if you do dream of girls in pink Cadillacs. And that's the moment you're immediately like, oh, he's in, he's in a dream. Cool. Yeah, he's confused, but he doesn't say anything. So standing on the sidewalk before walking in, there's a group of old people just standing down the road. Not just old people. There's some young people yeah, in front. It's, it's, it's just it's, a bunch of people. It's old people and children. There's no... All, and they're all eating beefy burger. Are they? I didn't notice all that. All the stuff they're holding, some people like hamburgers, some people like drinks i assume it's all beefy burger stuff okay and they're just like chanting springwood needs you brian yeah so he hands inside grabs some water and advil for the headache he's been having and as he looks at his water he sees like some blood dripping in it but he looks up at the ceiling he's like where's well, that he checks from? his head yeah he checks his head nothing. nothing looks at the ceiling nothing looks back at the glass blood's gone it's normal cup again so he turns the radio on as he enters his bedroom and we get a bit of news about an unsolved drive-by shooting from the night before and then it cuts to static yeah static before they can go into any details and it's this point where i went oh he's not dreaming he's dead yeah brian, this is his death dream yeah brian's dead his room is all packed up as he enters it like see i went with he's dead when i saw the blood dripping and touched his forehead Mm, fair enough 
Because, like, before I was like, oh, he's injured when I saw the blood. Like, yeah. He doesn't realize it yet. And then he touched, like, the middle of his forehead. And I was like, oh, he's dead, yo. So his room's all packed up. All of it's in boxes. And as he goes to adjust the radio, he hears some, somebody on the radio say, give me everything you've got. And oh, no. It, it's Freddy's voice. Yeah. But, I mean, it's supposed to be, like. Yeah. But, like, the thing is, like, throughout this episode, at times we just get Freddy's voice. For no, for no reason. Arguably to me, it means Freddy has an influence in this because as we'll learn, the shooter said, we're coming to get you. We're going to get you whatever. Yeah. But there was only one person. Yeah. Which implies to me, because I know it's somewhat possible from that, I think Freddy can kind of possess people. That he's just manipulating these things into happening. It's wild though. Like. Because he can. He likes to murder people. Why not? Sure. So he then leaves his room, finds his mom in the kitchen, and she's criticizing him for leaving the family business. Yeah, because he leaves to go to the kitchen because he we hear the bike revving again. Yeah. And he goes into the kitchen and his mother's just like repeatedly revving an empty food processor. Yeah. And he asks why she can't just be the type of mom who, and before he can like finish the, the thought, the entire show changes into like a 60s or 70s we get aesthetic. A, we get a brighter light, forward facing, one steady cam. And she's got like a like bright, bright dress on. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, hey, can you, mo- you ne- have you done your chores yet today? He's like, what chores? Have you a like, lawn? We don't have a lawn. Hey, you have the dog out? We don't have a dog. Well, your friends are coming over. He's like, those aren't my- the names of my friends. And she's like, well, make sure you take your shoes off. I did just wax the floor and we pan down and we see there's blood dripping next to his feet. And all of this is like constantly cueing laugh tracks. Mm-hmm. Like it's very much set up like a 60s era yeah. sitcom. So he looks down, sees blood, touches his forehead again. And then his mom walks over and he's like, let me check your forehead. And then she just kisses him. Starts trying to make out with him. Yeah. And like he pushes her away and like turns through the kitchen door. Yeah. Only to find himself back in Beefy Boy. Yep. And then the guy from the Jeep earlier pulls up to the window and he's making out with Karen. And he says, oh, you don't mind, do you? Since you'll be stuck in here forever anyways. Yeah, and then Karen makes a joke about never liking that place as meat anyways. No and yes. The joke is more about never liking... I get it. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. Uh, So he falls to the floor, only to be woke back in his bedroom, which is now fully furnished. Yeah. By a motorcycle revving, which makes his headache intensify. So he covers his ears, and when he pulls his hands away, they now have some blood on them. Yep. He goes out to the kitchen, and his mom is fixing breakfast, and his dad's reading the newspaper. He's like, what was that revving noise? And his mom's like, oh, it was just the mailman. Yeah, look, here's some college acceptance letters. And And his his dad's like, oh, so I guess you really will be leaving then, and takes the acceptance letters from his mother, and is looking at them, and then... Brian's dad kind of hands them over to him and he jokingly, off to the side where Brian would sit. And Brian's dad asks the mom jokingly, like, what's wrong with just inheriting the family business and, like, taking the it's life? It's like you- the passive joke. Like, it's Yeah, like, it's, it's a it's, joke, but, like, yeah. It's made to start an argument. And then his mom's like, well, there's nothing wrong with, like, that type of life if that's what you want. Yeah. Then the dad's like, well, apparently Brian thinks there's something yeah. wrong with so it. So Brian goes to grab his letters. His dad instead hands them to their mother. He goes to grab them from his mother. And then his dad also says, you don't need these. You need college like you need a hole in the head. Yeah. Ha ha, get it? Because he has a hole in the head. Mm-hmm. So then his dad takes the letters and as Brian's yelling about how his ticket's out of here and the yeah. t- his ticket's to his future, his dad like, here's your future. Well, his takes dad, the letters, he, throws he, them in a pan. He specifically tells his dad, after last night, I'm never going back yeah. there. And then his, and his dad's, dad's like, like don't count your burgers before they're on your mm-hmm. buns. And then Brian's like, those are the tickets to my future. He says like, here's your future. Throws the letters into a pan on the stove and starts burning them. And then when he turns around, instead of the letters, it's five or six hamburgers in a pan. And then when we zoom out from the pan, there's a beefy boy burger sign behind his dad where the, like, the yeah, kitchen's sinking. And his parents go... You are the beefy boy, Brian. Before they start singing the beefy boy jingle, which if you want to sing it with me, chew me, eat me, you can't beat me, chew me, eat me, you can't beat me. And they sing this over and over and over Until again. Until we go to a commercial break. And then we come back to it in his room. And the entire time they're singing it, we're just zooming in on Brian's face. And he is now reflecting the sign. He's holding a giant burger. His hair's been blown out to one side. He's making a very excited yeah. face, but he looks objectively terrified in his eyes. So, yeah, we come back and Brian has barricaded himself in his room and is attempting to call someone, obviously Karen. And as he dials the phone, it's to the melody of the jingle. And just before the final call goes through, he starts to sing it under his breath. But then Karen picks up and she's like, hey, Brian, we need to talk about something. He's like, wait, how do you know it's me? She's like, who else would it be? And then she's like, something horrible has happened. And he's like, they're trying to pull me back. They're trying to make me go back. 
Yeah, and then he hears something out in the kitchen, like so he leaves groan. his room. He, he yells at them to shut up and ends up hanging up on Kieran and goes out to where his pants are. And his dad has his head in the oven and is trying to get a lighter to catch, but it's not. He's, he's trying to blow up the house. Mm-hmm. And his dad's just like, well, we have nothing left to live for. I just wanted you to take this business, but you're not going to do it. What else do I have? And then he hears moaning from the fridge. Oh, opens he, it. He's like, I have my own life I need to live. And then yeah. he opens the fridge and his mom's in there and she's like, you have your own life to live. Our lives are over. You We're don't need old. us anymore. We don't, we, our lives are dumb. You don't need us anymore. And he's trying being like, no, that's like not like you, I can you, live my life. And I can have can, my own life and you can have yours. And she's just like, it doesn't matter. She like her head snaps to face him and she goes, give us everything you've got. Yeah. In Freddie's voice. Mm-hmm. We hear a bell ring. And as his dad's trying to light the lighter, he's like, there's a customer. Can you go get them? And then Brian still tries to stop his dad from lighting the lighter. They struggle over it and then it catches and there's an explosion. Yep. And he wakes up in his room. Again, furniture. Karen's there and he's like, they just keep trying to send me back to Burger Boy. Beefy Burger Boy. Beefy Burger Boy. Yeah, that's right. And she like, she turns to him and she's like, well, you have to go back. You don't belong here anymore. And he's like, whose side are you on? And she transforms into him in the Beefy Boy outfit. And he's like, I'm on your side. I've always been been on on your side. side. I'm you. And the duplicate of him is in, like, those work clothes, like Mm -hmm. I said. The clone vanishes, and he starts dripping blood from his forehead again. Mm -hmm. He dodges it. He sees the blood. And then we're back at Beefy Burger Boy. Mm -hmm. We see the guy at the order box outside messing with a gun. And then he temporarily becomes Brian for a second. Yeah. And then he pulls up, aims the gun, is then temporarily Brian again. It's back to the normal guy, then shoots Brian. And then as he goes to speed off, Karen is outside. She sees him shoot Brian, screams. And gets shot as well. And she gets shot as well. Yep. And that's the first half of this episode. This this episode is broken into two separate stories that are... arguably, I guess you could say the first one was too. Yeah. But that's the first story. Okay. So I think this next one we can kind of speed run because there's no long coherent story in it. Yeah, probably. So we cut to an ambulance arriving that morning. Mm-hmm. It, it's been a couple hours. Like, there's no way it, it yeah, hasn't. It was like, 3 a.m. It's like a pinkish gray morning. So it's like 5 or 6 a.m. probably. Mm-hmm. We find out Karen only has superficial wounds, but Brian is dead. And we see a cop walking off lamenting graveyard shifts. And then we see Freddy's claw come down on Freddy's yearbook. And then we see Freddy, which I guess this is technically the end of Brian's episode because Freddy has some food. And he says, it's have a, it's it my burger. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's Pulls a, the bun off. And underneath the bun is a bunch of worms. Yeah. Ooh. In the hospital, lights are flashing on off. Mm-hmm. Storm noises are outside. So we went from 3 a.m. to 5, 6 a.m. to it's storming. Yes. There's one nurse at the nurse's station. The hallways are empty. Everything's empty. The lights are really bad. Karen comes in. Gunshot wounds her shoulder. And she's been laying there outside for like two hours. And she's just now like waking up, I guess. Yeah. A doctor then asks, who's working on the backup generator as they prepare for surgery? Yeah, because they take her in after the nurse pages uh, Dr. Serling to the ER. And we cut down to a boiler room slash generator room. And it's Freddy in scrubs. And he's like, an apple a day. Not just in scrubs. He is scrubbed in for surgery. Except for his claw gloves yeah and he doesn't and he's not wearing a mask because you want to see his face obviously an apple a day ain't gonna keep me away yeah so as they're putting her under with anesthesia she hears one of the doctors say they're gonna amputate both her legs and one of her arms she's like wait you're gonna cut off my arms and legs and the doctor's like no one says that you're gonna be fine just take a breath and drift away it'll be it'll be fine just drift off so they knock her out with gas and start operating Mm mm-hmm and she wakes up a couple times mid-operation. And we see just some different scenes. Like the first one, we see the doctors and the surgeon seems to be struggling because just before we saw them looking at an x-ray and they, he was like, look, with this entry point with the x-ray, it looks like we could have a bunch of like fragments. It looks like the bullet fragmented. Well, not just the bullet, but also bone, bone fragments. Stuff. It looks like we have some fragmentation. So it could be a little bit messier than we thought going in. And so we see him doing the surgery and he's struggling. He's like, it's, it's a mess in here. She's going to have to fight to stay alive. Like, mm-hmm. One so, of the doctors in the background sneezes, everyone jumps, they stare at him, and then the operating surgeon says, better than the piano lessons? Totally doesn't make sense. Then he notices that she's coming too, has her knocked out again. She then wakes up again, two doctors are making out, two others are eating, and the lead doctor is opening her skull with a bone saw. They're all covered in blood. Mm. And then in the background, she sees the shooter from the yeah, first he, half of the episode. He's dressed in like... He's an classic orderly. Mo- yeah, he's dressed in classic movie orderly outfit. I was going to say all white. Yep. And the doctor says, we're going to need some help here because he's having problems finding the motor skills areas of the brain. And so the orderly steps forward and draws his revolver and aims it at her. Mm-hmm. And then she gets put back under. And then she wakes up in the largest, emptiest recovery room ever. 
Mm-hmm. Literally, there's nothing on the walls. Nothing. It's the largest empty history cover room ever. Then the nurse comes in, drops the bedpan, and starts yelling at her, asking her how she's doing. And it's because she's confused her with a patient with a hearing impairment. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, no, you're the GSW. Yeah. Then Karen asks about Brian, and the nurse is just like, the Not doctor will be the- here soon. Yeah. He'll let you know. And then we see outside the door a gurney being pushed again by the shooter it has a body on it that's covered with a sheet yep and then we see an old man sitting in a wheelchair in the doorway who kind of just points at the gurney and the orderly yeah which to do that we pan over to a large window that wasn't there earlier mm-hmm. and we see a door that's completely blacked out and that's like the only thing besides the gurney yep um she then asks the doctor about brian he tells her that Brian's in room 20 on the first floor. Mm-hmm. And she wants to go see Brian or she wants to leave. And the doctor's just like, look, you and, need a rest. And the important thing is during these scenes in this room, every time she wakes up, the doctor or the nurse is like, your parents are on their way. Yes. And she's always like, no, they're not. My parents aren't coming. You don't get it. They're not going to be here. Yeah. And the doctor's like, it's fine. Calm down. You just need a rest. And he injects her with something else to put her back under. And as like she's going back under, she sees the doctor and the nurse start like making out. Yes. Um, she then wakes up again to see the nurse in the corner making out with herself. Mm-hmm. And then the nurse comes over and makes her swallow a massive pill. Then the nurse is like, you're sweating like a whore. You're sweating like a... You're perspirating a lot. The best thing I have to say about this episode is the nurse's facial reactions. She's so good. She's like Jim Carrey levels of good. Actually, you know, the best thing about this is the nurse is fantastic. But the best thing about this is we didn't mention it. The first episode, everything is so overly acted. That's bad. This episode, much better, much better acting overall. Everyone scales it to the right level. Well, like, because after she's given the pill and the nurse is like, turns on the AC, which blasts like Arctic frozen. Yeah. It's very, very strong. We have something to add to make it grayish. So the nurse comes back over and she's like, and Karen asks, hey, can somebody help me get out of here? I don't want to be here. I don't need to be here. And the nurse is like, oh, so I'm not good enough for you. It, because I'm just a nurse. emotions here, mm-hmm. though, are like... I'm not a doctor. I'm just the nurse, of course. And she's just like, no, no, it's fine. And then we hear the gurney again. And, and it's over the to shooter it. pushing mm-hmm. the gurney. And then the nurse is gone. Yep. And, and then the shooter comes back pushing a woman in a wheelchair. The woman is Karen. And Karen it, looks at herself and says, you'll be fine. And the duplicate then points her to the gurney out in the hall. Mm-hmm. So after the shooter and the duplicate vanish again, she gets up and leaves the room to inspect the gurney. Well, she also is, hears Brian's voice saying her name. Yeah. And... And she inspects the gurney, which is labeled M. Shrek, yep. donated for parts. We see some movement. She lifts the sheet. There's a rat. And she freaks out. Then she turns around and Brian is there in the ho- like peeking his head out of a room in the hallway. Yeah. And he's like, come on, come with me. We'll we be like, like Romeo and Juliet. And she's like, didn't they die? And he's like, yeah. And he smiles while he says it. And then she wakes up in surgery again. Well, so he says, yeah, we got to her face for a reaction. She says something. I don't remember exactly. And then when we cut back to him, he now has his bullet hole in his yeah. head. And he's gone gray. Yeah. She then wakes up in surgery to the doctor and nurse stitching her mouth shut. Um, yes. She, she then snaps awake again in her first hospital room. I would room. like to point out her IV bag also has worms in it. Yeah. She then snaps awake again in that post-surgery room again. And there's a bed next to hers that's curtained it's off. A- it's an actual recovery room. Yeah. This time. But it's the same room. Like, it's... Her her area of the room is the exact same. It's her- not the exact same. There's backlightings now. There are the correct plugins for air, okay. oxygens. It is an actual room set up. Before, it was a blank room with just her bed in it. Okay. Um, the bed next to her is curtained off, and she goes to look, but the, the man laying in the bed is hooked up to a bunch of machinery and covered in a sheet. Yes. The nurse stops her before she can take a closer look, though. Tells her not to bother. Aim Shrek there. And they then need rest. immediately resedates her. Mm-hmm. And then as she's leaving, she drops all the charts and puts one back. Yep. So she wakes up again, and she's like stumbling around the hospital. Well, she's being rolled down a gurney, looks oh, at yeah, her bracelet, right. and the bracelet says M. Shrek, mm-hmm. because a guy came by, grabbed her, put her on a gurney for M. Shrek, because the M. Right. Shrek board said, body for parts, basket case. Uh, That's right. Helpless basket case. Goes to take her off, and she wakes up, there's no one pushing the gurney, she gets off the gurney, walks to a room, finds room 20 on the first floor, and it's the morgue. Yep, and she finds Brian's body in there. Then the shooter orderly grabs her from behind and drags her to the limb bank, mm-hmm. and a place called the limb bank and this is all done like, with, like red and purple and blue flashing lights and the- yes it's all very like psychedelic almost and when she gets to the limb bank the doors open and dr Serling is smoking a cigarette just slamming a giant meat cleaver down in some bodies and, and he's like practice makes perfect which is what he told and the it's nurse less earlier of a surger- sur- it's less of a surgery room and more of an abattoir yes um, and then the nurse walks up and she's like we're accepting parts We'll take anything you have. Would you like to make a donation? And Karen's like, no, screams and goes try and runs off. She breaks mm-hmm. through the doors while they laugh at her. Well, then we just see her running through the hallways for quite a bit. She gets to a pair of doors. 
they open, and it's the biker with his gun leveled at her, and he shoots. Yep. And then she wakes up in a new hospital bed in a new room with flowers and the doctor mm-hmm. and the nurse. And they greet her normally, and, and they're like, like, hey, the surgery was a bit touchier than we thought it would be, but you're fine. She's like, okay. She asks about Brian, and like, he, he was dead on arrival. Yep. Don't worry, though. Your parents are going to be here soon. Yeah, your parents just got here, actually. And she's like... You, they y- definitely y- didn't. I don't like hospitals because they died here. Yeah, they died here because there was an accident. You couldn't save them. And then she sees her parents in the doorway, and they're walking to her bed, and she starts freaking out. Mm. And the doctor says something about her still seeing hallucinations. And they're just like, well, she's still medicated. It's just us here. And, and then, then they lay her back down in bed, and then we have Freddy again. Yep. And he says, remember, we make house calls. Yep. And that's the end of episode two. And the first half of episode two is phenomenal. I know you didn't ask. I'm sorry, Andrew. You, you do your thing. Nope, continue. I refuse now. Okay, what did you think of episode two? Episode two, the first half, was actually really, really good. They did a really good job with the like fluidness of dream, basically. The going from one space to another, the bleeding effects in of one to another, especially with the way they used sound. Yeah. Which I like the fact that they used sound for such a representative of it because, obviously, the headshot wound, headache, loud sound vibrating in his skull things like that yeah it works really well as a transition point between all of it and they do it well yeah it's still a fucking show from the late 80s so it still has camp and cheesiness obviously it's a nightmare on elm street property it's definitely going to be camp at points fair enough but like the first half of this episode is actually really really strong and then we get to the second half and it feels like they were just told hey karen also has to be having nightmares and then they were given nothing about karen's story or well, backstory it feels, at all it feels like they wrote this episode and they're like yeah we got this great 30 minute episode mm-hmm. and they're like yeah but our episodes are 44 minutes yeah and you know we're supposed to kind of tie the first part of the episode into the second we're actually doing two stories per episode and the writers were like hmm brian had a girlfriend yeah, 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 do that. Do something with that. Actually, that's exactly what it feels like because the runtime for Brian's episode is like 22 minutes and change, which with commercials would be a 30-minute episode of television. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Karen's just feels a bit all over the place. And like, honestly, some of the parts, like the doctor teaching the nurse how to sew just to sew her mouth shut. Yeah. Honestly, it feels like scene filler. Like, look, we just need a creepy-ish scene. We don't have anything else going on here. That's a lot of what this episode feels like. A lot of scene filler in the second half. Yeah. A lot of scenery being chewed. Would you watch more? After this episode, I honestly don't know. Like, the first one left me in, like, a, a state of, like, maybe if the episode sounded fine. And this one, the first half, if we had stopped there, I'd be like, yeah, I'd definitely watch more. This, this isn't a bad anthology series. It looks pretty fine. And then we get to the second half, and I'm just like, I don't like this. Across these two episodes, I went on a roller coaster because we were watching the first episode and I was like, I don't understand how this made two seasons. Like, this feels like a 45-minute, like, short film that they put online to, like, clear up plot holes and stuff. Yeah, and just made more plot holes, obviously. Yeah, but it feels like something like that that we that we'd get in the modern day where it's like, they put it out there just to, like fill time as a way to like keep you. fans engaged you. between movies yeah i was like this i don't know how this got two seasons started episode two we're watching the first half and I'm like this is so good the dreams are so fluid everything like yes we were like six seven minutes in and i was like oh yeah he's dead but like so spoilers never don't really affect things too much it's fine yeah i was like cool my brain figured it out that's me being smart boy it makes me feel good about myself yeah but then we got to the second half of the episode and i was like this is a train wreck mm-hmm this is no, atrocious. Half was just disappointing. Like it still had good visual moments, but In none of it was tied together well. Episode two, both the first and second half. That what I can say about them is they both do dreams. In some of the best ways I've ever seen done on a show. Yeah, they're, they're done fairly well. I quite enjoyed it. Like, the transitions between them are very solid, very sequel. It's very good. Yeah, I just felt like the back half of episode two had no idea what story it was telling. Yes. I guess that's all I have to say. Like, uh, the show's fine. Yeah. I think episode two is a good, like, example of, like, when the show is good, it's going to be very good. And it's also a good example of when the show is bad, it's going to be very bad. It nails both sides of that coin and if i have to like flip a coin every time i watch an episode or i guess roll a dice we get yeah. three outcomes boring very good very bad i don't want to roll that dice yeah no i'd probably just find something that it works generally on the moderate scale of good to very good yeah so yeah i wouldn't watch any more of this but that was freddy's nightmares a nightmare on elm street the series yes now if you want to feed our nightmares you can reach out to us directly at copilotsreview at gmail.com or at copilotsreview on twitter or at copilotsreview.simplecast.com which has a link to our twitter our gmail 
our Discord, our YouTube, our Patreon as well. And our Patreon, again, will have Spookum's content all month long. Yeah. And if you've listened to us before, you probably know that this month is just going to be spooky stuff. We started it off with a classic horror movie TV spinoffs. Yep, that's what we're doing for the main episodes. And then on the 12th, like always in October, we we'll- will be returning with our third annual Fright, Fright Flight. Flight, which honestly, I love our holiday gimmicks. Fright Flight, the co-pilot's Christmas tradition. Yeah. Th- these are things that bring me joy. So I'm excited to do another Fright Flight. I'm excited for this month. It's going to be fun. But I'm going on too long. We've already done our sign-off. So catch you on the next flight. 